Before we begin, I want to thank the sponsor of Oil & Gas Upstream, Oliva Gibbs. Oliva Gibbs provides clear legal solutions to complex oil, gas, and mineral law issues nationwide. We believe that when we focus on serving people, good things happen in the lives of our clients and employees. We just happen to be a law firm. Learn more at oglawyers.com. Oil and gas production is the union of natural systems with advanced science and complex engineering. Smart people across the globe create this remarkable place we call Upstream, and each day brings a new challenge. This is the Oil and Gas Upstream podcast, where we look at how these systems come together and learn from the people who make it happen. Welcome to Oil and Gas Upstream. I'm Elena Milka, your host. Some of you know me as the former director for oil and gas upstream research at the U.S. Department of Energy. I retired from the DOE, founded Energia Consulting, and joined the Oil and Gas Global Network as a podcast host. I invite you to go to the OGGN website and take a look and check out all the other podcasts in the network and the new merchandise that's available now. Maybe even pick up the oil and gas upstream t-shirt that reminds us that only the bit finds oil. And the link is in the show notes below. And don't forget to sign up for OGGN's weekly newsletter, Sunday Update. And of course, my favorite part about the Sunday Update is the first thing is the prices. It's a price review and trends, and it's short, just a minute or so, but it really gives us a lot of little updated information on a Sunday before you get the busy week. And now I'd like to introduce today's guest, Jeff Dwiggins. Wiggins Consulting and Artificial Lift Solutions, and 2023 ESP Symposium Chair, a Society of Petroleum Engineers Gulf Coast Section event. And of course, we're recording live here from the reception area in the exhibit hall. How many exhibitors do we have here? About 50 or so? It's about 52, 53 this year. We're full. this year. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. Jeff has worked in the oil and gas industry for over 35 years. Jeff is a mechanical engineer and worked on ESP projects worldwide throughout his career. In 2002, Jeff founded Dwiggins Consulting LLC and subsequently founded Artificial Lift Solutions in 2004, a Singapore-based company. Both companies focus on artificial lift support with particular emphasis on ESP. Jeff and his team work on all aspects of operations from the initial design to installation and operation to include factory acceptance testing and other efforts. Jeff has worked throughout the world and extensively in unconventional oil and gas operations in the U.S. Jeff is active in the industry and serves as the chairperson of, as I said, the 2023 ESP Symposium and has led API API committees for the development of recommended practices for electric submersible pumps. Jeff, thank you so much. It's great to have you here and great to be here at the conference. Um, I'm so excited to be here. This is my first time at the conference. Um, But let's get to know you a little bit um, as a person separate from being the chair, and then we'll figure out how you got here. So um, you're a mechanical engineer. Where did you go to school? Where did you grow up? Yeah, I uh, grew up in eastern Oklahoma and went to school at the University of Oklahoma and studied mechanical engineering there. There's a couple of Oklahomas. Which one? 
The university, the boomer sooner, <laughs> is the one. <laughs> so help me out. What city is that in? Norman, Oklahoma. Oh, I've been there. Okay. Just, just south of Oklahoma City. Okay. I have been there. I have been there. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Jeff, tell us how you came to launch your company, Dwiggins Consulting, and later Artificial Lift Solutions. And what's the Singapore angle? Yeah, so I started um, in the industry working for some of the major ESP companies and worked on projects. And then as things developed in my career, I just had that entrepreneurial piece. And in 2002, I just had an opportunity to go out and start. And so I started DeWiggins Consulting because I was focused here in North America. But then an opportunity presented itself internationally. And so uh, the companies we were working for just wanted to have an international presence. So Singapore was a very business-friendly, safe haven to go. So um, I don't really know about oil production in Singapore. Is there a big hydrocarbon presence there? No, there's, there's not a hydrocarbon presence in Singapore. It's a small city-state, but it's a business-friendly state. Oh. And so it, it provides us an international platform that makes it very safe to do business. And uh, so that, that was really the principle of just finding a business-friendly community, and Singapore's that community for us. Okay. okay, and sort of a launching point for being able to go worldwide with... Yeah, we obviously adhere to the laws of, of wherever we're working, and uh, we segregate our international business through the Singapore company. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, um, our, some of our listeners are obviously subject matter experts, um, and we try to bring, you know, technology to them so they know what artificial lift and ESPs are. But other people who are not subject matter experts don't really understand what artificial lift is, and so maybe we could have a small conversation about that. Um, and, and I'll start it off with reservoir. When you have uh, oil and gas hydrocarbons in the subsurface in a reservoir, it's not really like a swimming, swimming pool. Uh, unless you took your swimming pool and filled it up with sand. Correct. And then the fluids would be in those little pores there. And so uh, that's sort of one little tidbit, one uh, analogy. Another one has to do with reservoir pressure. Correct. So it takes that pressure. So in order for us to produce oil and gas, there's a there has to be a pressure differential. That means that the fluids will flow from high pressure to low pressure. And so in our subsurface reservoir, um, the pressure, it comes from the, the fluids above you in the sense that if you were in the deep end of the pool, that pressure you would feel on your ears is what the high pressure is. And then the well allows the reservoir to be connected all the way to the surface mm -hmm. where we have, you know, left in less than 15 pounds per square inch of uh, fluid, I mean of uh, pressure, atmospheric pressure, depending on where you are, <laughs> sea pool, on the sea, uh, at the beach, or at the, you know, uh, top of a mountain, Pikes Peak, perhaps, in uh, Colorado. But the point is, is that's a differential that allows high pressure, the fluids go to the low pressure, and we call that flow. Mm -hmm. Well, in the life of a reservoir, as we start to deplete those fluids, then that pressure head tends to drop, and so we have less and less pressure, and depending on how deep the well, there's lots of factors, the fluids that are being carried in, the like, there's a lot of design and a lot of understandings and have to go in there, but then we come into the notion of, instead of depending on natural lift, we have artificial lift. So you tell us about artificial lift, including pumping units. <laughs> Correct. So, electric submersible pumps are con 
generally considered the preferred method for high volume lift, right? right? And so you're right, your description of pressure is exactly correct. We oft, one of the ways that I try to describe it to students when I teach is I take a bottle of Coca-Cola. There you go. That's and I'll shake one. it up and I'll pop it open. And of course, the, the, as the Coke exits the bottle, it takes a lot of fluid with it. But when it all settles down, there's still a lot of Coca-Cola in the bottle. And that's what I tell people is, look, there's still a lot of Coke here. We just got to find a way to get it out of the bottle, <laughs> right? And and that's where artificial lift comes in. And ESPs are the preferred method to lift. And typically ESPs are going to operate in the anywhere from a thousand barrels a day, they can go lower, but a thousand barrels a day all the way up to in the 20s, 1,000, 25,000 or even higher range. But the sweet spot for ESPs typically between a thousand and 20,000 barrels a day. Well, that's a lot of fluid. A lot right. of fluid, right. And so that is why it's such a preferred method of lift. It allows us to produce a lot of fluid. As long as that fluid's present and available, then we provide the additional pressure that's needed to get that fluid from the bottom of the well, so to speak, back to surface. Yeah, yeah. So um, this has to do with the life cycle of the reservoir, if you will, in that it has the pressure, and that's really all we're talking about is lift and flow. And so with respect to the life cycle of a reservoir, you'll have wells that produce more or less, and the pressure will be higher or lower depending on the particular configuration of the reservoir, because reservoirs aren't really like swimming pools. They are they're, not. They're natural they're systems. They're anything but. They're anything but. They're, they're natural systems, and they are what they are, and you discover what they are as you work with them. but. It's not easy. It's not an easy thing. We draw good cartoons and make it look easy, but it, but it's not really. So first we have the natural lift. Right. And then the first level of artificial lift might be um, ESPs. Is that what you're kind of saying? Yeah, it, it depends. Obviously, it's very reservoir dependent. But the ESP is very flexible, and we use various operational methods, typically with variable speed drives, that we can adapt our design to optimize that well and produce the maximum that's available. And so that's, and that's really where my expertise and my company's expertise lie is we help operators manage that to the best that they can. So we try to help them get good run lives and best performance so that they can optimize. Really it boils down to how much oil can I put in the tank? And we want to put as much oil in the tank for the operators we can. Absolutely. So if we don't lift it out of the reservoir, then it can't go to market. That's right. If it can't go to market, then why are we doing it? So that's a very important need that um, producers would have. And obviously there's other forms of artificial lift. ESPs happen to be the preferred method for high volume lift. But there are other ways. As the well depletes, reservoir depletes, then lower volume artificial lift is something like rod pumps or sucker rod pumps. And for those that may not be familiar, those are those things that are bobbing up and down out there as you drive along the highway. <laughs> Look like a horse's head. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so it's very important for the lifetime of a, of a reservoir to have these different options for getting the production out of the, uh, out of the wells, the reservoirs, out of the reservoirs. 
So with respect to our conference here today, we've got so many different vendors. You said 52 or so. We have a total of about 52, 53 different uh, primary ESP suppliers and those that are attached to the industry in various ways. Yeah, tell us about some of the vendors that are here today with respect to the technologies to give people who are not subject matter experts a feel for why you would have a conference of this magnitude uh, for a artificial lift sure. ESP. This, this is considered the world's foremost ESP event. By the, it happens every two years. There are smaller ones, but this is the one that certainly registers as the premier leader of the industry. And represented here today are your key suppliers like SLB, Baker Hughes, there's others, Novamet, and, and so forth. And then you have uh, people that are attached to the industry that provide what I would call secondary or even tertiary tools. So people that supply clamps and other pieces that we need to make it all come together. So, And this is where the experts come, both from the operator side, the supplier side, and those of us that fall into the consulting side, where we can come and collaborate and exchange ideas and present technical uh, ideas that hopefully uh, provides a platform for people to improve. Yeah, yeah. So you talked about the, uh, so if people are not providing sort of the uh, ancillary, the um, um, accessories associated with with the uh, ESPs here at the, at the um, convention, so everybody else is a ESP provider? No, there's, I would, I haven't counted, but I think there's five or six ESP providers and then the ancillary equipment are those that supply things like, for example, we have to get a big long electric cable in the well to get power down to the ESP. We have to get that cable through the wellhead and so those are called power feed-throughs or electrical feed-throughs. So all of those various things, we have to clamp the cable to the tubing. There are companies here that have a, a particular skill set on how to properly clamp to the tubing. So there's all kinds of things. There are people here that provide various types of downhole separation devices. So there's a lot of various pieces that need to come together. Yeah. Okay. So for people who don't know, uh, an ESP is kind of like a long a tube or a rod, how, what diameter are we talking about? So ESPs typically run in the on the small side, 3.75 inches in diameter up to, well, 5.62, they even go larger. But the ones that we primarily deal with, particularly out in the Permian Basin or West Texas in the unconventionals, are gonna be 3.75 or four, four and a half inch ESPs, right? And the configuration is typically uh, you have a motor, you have a way to protect that motor to keep well fluid out of it, and then you have the lift pump, which is a centrifugal pump. Oh, okay. Are there sensors associated with that configuration? Great question. And there is a sensor that plugs in directly at the bottom of the motor that provides us invaluable data so that we can monitor and fine-tune that. Think of it as getting the lights just right in your room when you walk in. You know, you, you want it to look just right, so you need the ability to, to adjust it, and that's what optimization is, and that sensor provides us the ability to optimize. And um, is pressure one of the sensors? It that? is. The typical readings that we will take from downhole 
our pressure and temperature, right? We'll monitor their temperature of the motor because we want to keep it within guidelines. And we want to know what is the pump intake pressure because that allows us to interpolate or understand how the reservoir is performing and do we need to adjust it, right? So as the production continues from the various wells and the, the pressure gradient spreads around the reservoir, sort of equalizing itself, and then you'll start to see some changes in the pressure. Right. Um, and you'll you'll decide whether, oh, oh, we're not getting any readings here, or you'll say, oh, I think this reservoir is starting to... That, uh, that's what makes unconventional plays for those that may not understand a bit more challenging. In a conventional reservoir, we typically have some type of pressure support, whether it's natural from the reservoir or we supply it. Um, so that's a conventional method, which is what the most of the world is. Unconventional is obviously we're drilling into a formation that would be that doesn't allow us to have pressure support. So we drill it and complete it and and try to deplete as much as we can from that particular area, and then we have to move on. But throughout that process, the pressure's falling, right? And typically it has a life cycle that is more generally not in, measured in years, not in months. But throughout that period, we experience pressure decline, and we have to adjust. And, and, and naturally, uh, you will know as a petroleum engineer, as that pressure declines, we have things happening in the fluid as I described earlier with a bottle of Coke, right? As we take the pressure off, gas will come out of solution, and that presents a problem for us, right? Because now we've got to, that gas takes up space in the pump stage, and we have to we have to be concerned with that, and we have to manage it. Right, right. So when we're looking at, uh, in my mind's eye, a, uh, and I'm going to go look at some of these pumps in real life. I've only seen pictures of them. Um, but the configuration is you've got a sensor is probably at the bottom? or That's right, the at the very bottom, and it's a smaller piece, and it, it has uh, penetrations that go right into the motor and allows us to collect data right there. And all of that information is transmitted on that electrical cable. Think of it as a big, long extension cord. Yeah, that, that's what it looks that, like. That information is transmitted on the cable. We have a wet method of extracting that information once it comes to surface. And we take all of that information plus the information from the surface unit and we can take that anywhere we want. We can leave it right at the at the well site and just let the smart box try to handle it. Or more often than not in today's world, we transmit that information to some central point where we can manage that data and, and manage our, our method of performance. Yeah, yeah. So, so wow, so the... Um is it, are the pumps connected to the grid or do the... Both. Um, t- typical voltages in uh, applications here in North America are going to be in anywhere from, on the low side, 1,500 volts, but typically in the 2,000 to 2,500 volt range, right? And they're going to be in the 50, 60, 70 amp range motors. And so that's that, that's very typical for us. So the grid, a lot of wells are connected on the grid. And those that don't have viable methods uh, of grid service, we use generators, well site generators. And is it, uh, I'm just making this up because I'm putting myself in the oil field. So what about, um, you know, flared gas? Is there, uh, do people ever collect it and use it to generate power, Uh, you know? 
It's becoming more and more of an issue in the industry as the world moves to an ever-increasing awareness of carbon footprint. And it's no different here in North America. We, you know, there's still some flaring. They have no choice. If you can't get rid of the gas, you really, you either else have to put it in a production link someplace, or you have to flare it when it shows up. And more and more operate. There's less and less flaring all the time, right. which I compliment the industry right. for those people that don't understand oil and gas. The oil and gas industry is very aware very of its aware. carbon footprint, Absolutely. and they're trying hard. And it's sometimes a difficult game to play from the standpoint of satisfying both. But the gas has to go someplace, right? And so you either produce the gas into a production line someplace, whether that's a gas line or through the system, or you have to flare it. Those are your options. Right. But the notion of um, collecting the gas and using it as a uh, fuel for generating electricity. That happens. Uh, and that happens. Okay, okay, that happens. Sometimes in- we get the well kicked off. If it's on a generator, we can use propane to get the generator started and get it going. Then once we have gas at surface, we can take that wellhead gas and turn it right back into the generator. There you go. Right. There you go. I love that. I love that because every molecule that goes up into the atmosphere is one less dollar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, operations. clearly we all know that gas has had a more challenging environment than has oil, uh, liquids, but still gas has value. And, I, you Absolutely know, has my value. experience with whether it's one of the majors or one of the smaller companies, they all want to do the right thing, right? right? They want, they don't want a big carbon footprint. Right. They want to minimize the impact to the environment, right? right? Right. But there's a big demand for the product. So... Would you, you don't want people going cold either, right? So oh, no, you, no, no. Energy, supply, demand, and environmental sustainability is a very complex issue. And you just have to make choices. I mean, people, there are people in the world who are energy poor, and they are still cooking inside caves or small huts or, or small um, buildings, and but they've got, uh, they're using um, wood or dung, and those particulates that they're breathing in, and their it's children, horrible. I mean, this is a very real issue. I, you know, I would encourage everyone to, even if they believe the fossil fuel industry has its problems, fair enough, but become well-versed and well-read, right? Understand what you're dealing with. And if you look around the world at countries that are trying to come up the social ladder, they have to have energy. That's the way they come up the social ladder, or the, uh, the, the, the ladder, right? To become a more prosperous group of people or country. So they need that energy. Absolutely. Right. Energy allows you to keep the lights on at night. Um, energy allows you to invest in solutions that help the environment. I mean, there's only one way. <laughs> you gotta have something comes from not, nothing comes from nothing, right? That's so correct. It's, right. it's absolutely there. So, okay, good. So now we have a good sense of the operations of um, the mechanics of um, ESPs. Now that's here on the exhibit floor. Right. Now, what about upstairs where the papers are? What are some of the topics? What are some of the questions, research questions that people are pursuing answers to with respect to ESPs? That's a great question. And we put, as the organizing committee for the ESP symposium, everyone on the committee is a volunteer. None of us get paid. I don't get paid uh, and I don't want to be paid because I believe I'm at the point in my career where I need to give back, right? Yes. And so... And a great career it's been, absolutely. So we, 
we do put a lot of effort into the technical content. And we're primarily a technical forum, right? And so the papers that are presented are technically focused. They're not commercial. We go to great extent to make sure there's no commercialism as per SPE guidelines. Right, right. So we're happy for people to say which company they work for, but after that we want technical content. And so we focus on topics that are relevant to the industry. For example, how do we handle gas in unconventional wells? It's a big deal. How do we handle the temperatures? It's a big deal. And we have papers that are going to address that. We're going to have various operators, suppliers, and other people that are going to combine their efforts, and they're going to stand in front of all of their peer group and present this technical content where we can exchange ideas. And hopefully what we want is for everybody to walk away just a little bit better, right? Absolutely. And with some ideas. You know, I know certain operators that come here and they tell their engineers, okay, you have to come back and report to us two, three, four, five ideas that you think could potentially help our company get better. I think that's a great Absolutely. Method, right? Absolutely. It sharpens your thinking skills right. and your listening skills and all of the above. It it's a, provides a return on the investment for your company sending you here and spending the time. And right. Plus, you build the network with scientists, engineers, geologists, you know, people who are your technical peers uh, trying to use a multidisciplinary approach to solve, you know, these problems. So my first, I have to ask you this, my first exposure to ESPs was when I was in production in Bakersfield, and um, this was the Stevens Zone, and it had a lot of sand, and we had we had challenges. Have we conquered the sand challenge yet? Well, the answer is we've certainly improved. Now, I'm obviously an old guy at this point, and I remember when sand was a real challenge for ESPs, right? Well, with, for everything. Yeah, <laughs> everything. For, but but technology has advanced. For example. The advent of ceramics, just in my career, right? When I was early in my career, we didn't have ceramics that we could use inside of ESPs. We now use ceramics throughout that ESP. We've got various methods to harden the stages. And we have other ways where we, in our optimization efforts, we help moderate sand flow. There are tools that help us alleviate that. So yeah, I, I tell people when I teach a course, listen, there are certain things that make it more difficult. Temperature, gas, and solids provide challenges to everything, and ESPs are not immune, right? But we can learn, it's kind of like driving your car on a rough road. Okay, we can we can adapt that car to handle rough road conditions, right? right? And ESPs have come a long ways, right, right? right? They're not perfect, but they've come a long ways. So that's why it's so important to have these two points of view, the, um, the problem solving, the technical papers, the people presenting ideas to each other and really sparking their thoughts about what might solve the next problem, as well as the operations down here, reminding us how far that we've come with respect to being able to pursue this. Just the advances in my career, not only with ceramics, but the methods of which we handle gas through the ESP has been astounding. And you know, now the industry is moving to permanent magnet motors. Well, it's higher horsepower density, it's more efficient, it's great. Now, there are some distinct things you need to be aware of when it comes to permanent magnet motors. But like everything, you can manage it. You just need to be aware of the problem and understand the constraints, and you can typically manage it. Absolutely, That's, that is great.
So, so Jeff, this is delightful talking with you, and um, I think that people who are outside the industry didn't realize there was so much to talk about with respect to ESPs, but this is, this is the real world. This is what it takes to produce the oil and gas that we have every day to um, uh, power our homes and our vehicles and take care of our families and, and pay our taxes at the end of the day. So, so Jeff, we're almost at the end of our time. Um, is there anything else you want to share with everyone? Maybe perhaps um, what you're excited about um, in terms of the future of production and the future of oil and gas and the future of ESPs? Well, I think, I think in general, ESPs are making great strides forward. We work on projects all over the world, and we certainly have very favorable experiences of helping people extend their run lives and use those devices to the, to the best. So what am I most excited about. I guess, you know, our group has grown over the last few years. I'm excited about the technology advances, our ability to to help people and to do things right. You know, my group of people, we operate as the subject matter expert. So our goal is to help both the supplier and the operator achieve better performance. That's what we are trying to do, and that's what excites me still to this day. Absolutely, and and you said you um, this is one of the volunteer efforts that you're involved in in terms of the conference. Was it always this big? How, did, how long? How old is it? Well, how, we have. We I mean, this has been around since the early '80s. It was not always an SPE event, and. I think we're very fortunate this year. You know, in 2021, we were in the depths of COVID and trying to come out of it, and we still had the conference, but we suffered. Uh, you know, I think we've set new records this year with registration and attendance, and I think that's because people are ready to get back. And we put the committee, the organizing committees, put forth a lot of effort to get people through the door, and that committee's been very successful. Yeah, well, this is an exciting conference. There is a lot of energy here, uh, pardon my pun. I mean, this is really exciting, and I, and I definitely love talking with you about, uh, about all of this. Thank you, Elena. So, Jeff Dwiggins with Dwiggins Consulting Artificialist Solutions on the 2023 ESP Symposium Program Chair. Thank you so much for being with our being our guest today and for sharing all about the contributions of, to oil and gas of ESPs. Thank you, Elena. It was great having you here. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, and I'm looking forward to the conference. I'm going upstairs definitely tomorrow to listen to some of those technical papers. I'm registered here both as press for the podcast and uh, as my you, SPE member. You won't be disappointed. I will not be disappointed. Thank you for coming. Thank you, thank you. And thank you everyone for listening. Please give us a review and tell us what you'd like to hear more about on future podcasts. This is Elena Melker, your host for Oil & Gas Upstream. More next time. Join us again next week on the Oil & Gas Upstream podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.